Hello and welcome to Hi I Like Maths, which is all about how mathematics can improve our mental and intellectual abilities. This is not a technical show, so we're not going to talk about uh, formulas or abstract stuff. It's mainly about challenges, problems, solutions, research and discoveries in the world of mathematics and its applications. My name is Linda. I am the host of the show. I'm also an applied mathematician. I completed a PhD in it. Uh, I'm a maths educator and the founder of Bungie Pi, which helps children learn mathematics using storytelling, animations, and real-life applications. Today, I am uh, honored to have Karen on my show. Uh, she's an amazing educator. She would like to talk about um, psychology of learning mathematics, which I think is as important as maths itself. This is one of my favorite topics, by the way. Uh, Karen has been a teacher for almost 20 years. Uh, she has taught primary and secondary students from kindergarten to year 10. In 2009, her experience saw her move into academ academia where she was the numeracy advisor to primary pre-service teachers and was a lecturer in mathematics education for postgraduate and undergraduate students in preparation for primary teaching. Karen has been a member of the uh, executive committee of the Mathematical Associations of New South Wales since 2003 and the primary associations for middle school mathematics since 2002. She was also the New South Wales representative councillor of the board of the Australian Associations of Mathematics Teachers for five years. She is the current president of Mathematical Associations of New South Wales. Karen is completing her PhD, a doctoral thesis, so she's going to be a doctor soon, examining primary uh, pre-service teachers' attitude and self-efficacy in and toward mathematics. Her current role is as head of mathematics at Cluey Learning, um, in, which is a tech company providing learning support for students from year 2 to 12 across Australia. Welcome to my show, Karen. And before talking about psychology of learning mathematics, I would like to start asking some questions like, what did you want to be growing up? Hi, Linda. Thanks so much for inviting me to come on board your show. It's it's a, a real joy. Um, what did I want to be growing up? Um, I think as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a teacher. That's really all I, I uh, desired to be. I, I had a, a teacher in first class called Mrs O'Rourke that really influenced me. She was compassionate. She was amazing. I still have a photograph of the, there was 44 of us in the class, if you can imagine. And that was standard for most classes in those days, which is a long time ago. And I had her in sixth class as well. But my, despite wanting to be a teacher um, in my early life, so I was far back as, as I say, about six or seven, I used to put my dolls and my teddy bears up on sit them up on the couch and, and write up on a, I had an easel blackboard and I used to write up sums as it were. So it turns out that mathematics was always my passion. 
as it seems. So yeah, that, that it was that or nursing, but definitely teaching has been has been the passion. Right. How lucky you are to find your passion quite an early on, because sometimes it takes years and years to find out what you're passionate about and, you know, the things that you're interested in. It's sometimes it takes a really, really long time. So um, tell me about um, your career path. Um, so what has your career path looked like up to now? Well, to be to be honest with you, despite finding that that passion very early on, I didn't go into teaching straight away. I, I went and became a mum, got married, had a, had two children, and it wasn't until I was thirty four that I actually went back to university to to pursue that passion. It took me a couple of years to to believe in myself enough to to think that I was capable of it and. Uh, I started off doing um, primary teaching. So I started in, in 2000 doing primary teaching and looking at, I did a sub-major in mathematics. So I developed an, a very, very strong interest in mathematics and, and the way students learn in maths. And then I moved into high school teaching after a few years where I taught maths, um, religious studies and creative arts, which is kind of a weird combination. But I, I taught them for several years and I was the year advisor for year seven for a number of years as well and worked with some amazing teachers some wonderful students, many of whom I still I'm still in contact with today and they're all married with children of their own, which makes me feel quite old. Um, <laughs> but as you said, in 2009, I started that academic career and I think that was probably where I found my niche. I, I really felt... Um, very passionate about providing as much support as I possibly could for pre-service teachers going on to become primary school teachers. Yeah, it's a great one. And um, I know how challenging it is uh, working in this space. I'm going to ask you to share more details about it later. Um, um, and um, I know that you've done a PhD um, on uh, pre-service teachers' um, attitude toward mathematics. And I think this is very important because um, I'm fully aware of the role of teachers um, in shaping children's uh, life. Um, I personally uh, didn't have um, um, a positive attitude toward mathematics when I was doing my primary. In fact, I didn't even think that I am um, talented. I didn't even think that I'm able to solve maths problems. Things changed when we moved to a new city and um, uh, for, for my high school and, and then I found uh, my new environment to be progressive. My peers were uh, very hardworking, smart and my teachers were very supporting. They picked that up. They found out that I am good at that and they convinced me that I can pursue a career in, in mathematics. So. I think if I didn't have that environment, I never been able to uh, think that um, I am talented and I can do maths and I can, you know, have a career later on in maths. So um, tell us about um, uh, your experience uh, of role of teachers. Well, um, I, I hear what you're saying about teachers having a great influence and research has pointed to that all right the way through over many, many years. So teachers have the biggest influence on students um, and my own research came about as a result of 
interactions with students at the university because I knew that they were going to go on to become pre-service or primary school teachers. And at some stage, some of them may or may not be teaching my grandchildren. And I just felt that it was a very important responsibility. And I, and I thought that I could potentially make a change in them or at least influence them towards thinking that they could, they could be influential in their, in their own teaching. What I used to do and how this came, how my research came about was because I interviewed, well, I didn't interview, I surveyed um, all of them. So I, there might have been 300 of them in the lecture theatre and I would survey them at the beginning of the semester and I'd say, tell me what you think about maths. And on, in, invariably for about five semesters in a row, there was the same three things that came out. One third of them would say they were very confident. One third would say sort of, meh, it's okay, I'm relatively confident. And the other third believed that they they had, they were no good at it. The Frequently they would say things like, I don't have a maths brain, or I'm a more literacy and arts person, or um, I'm, I'm never going to be any good at maths because I was never any good at it at school. When have I ever used it, etc.? And the other thing that I found was they often measured their own abilities by the number that was on the top of the test, uh, you know, and the number of ticks and crosses on the page. Yeah. And that was that was a big thing. And and they often compared themselves to their peers yeah. when, in actual fact, they weren't looking at their own ability. Um, and it, I guess it was their low self-efficacy and and the belief that they that a person is born with a maths ability. Um, and that was something that could be learned or rather than something that could be learned and improved. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, and as, as numeracy advisor, I worked with hundreds of, of pre-service teachers. And I used to say to them that musicians don't get good at their craft by looking, leaving their instrument in the corner. Yeah. They, they actually pick it up and play it and practice it to, to perfect yeah. it. And, you know, Serena Williams didn't get 23 grand slams by by watching Wimbledon, she hit the ball back and forward across the net until she got good at it. Yeah. And and I guess as as I observed the you know successful people, when I looked at successful people, I looked at I found that it was their personal motivation and their ability to self-regulate their behavior that actually influenced their success. That's so true recognizing that two-thirds of my pre-service teachers had relatively high, high somewhat high confidence there was still a third that believed that they were never going to get any better so my I get and, and their their low confidence was certainly evident in the way they spoke certainly spoke about mathematics so I guess my question when I began this journey the PhD journey which I'm very close to submitting um, was what were the factors that influenced self-efficacy and in particular whether we could change a person's attitude while they were on their professional practice and because I believe that a little bit of success goes a long way yeah. and um, and it, it actually changes the way the brain thinks when they start when they start to have a, a little bit of success so um, I guess that's that's where the PhD came in um, and I've, I've learned a whole lot about not only uh, my participants in, in the study, but also myself as a learner, because I can see where I fit into, into the, the way the brain thinks and the psychology of, of learning and the psychology of mathematics. So 
it's been a it's been a phenomenal journey. Yes, I know how difficult um, your um, area of research and work is, how challenging it is. Um, before actually we met, I wrote a booklet and I called it um, The Maths Mind, which is all about uh, psychology of learning mathematics, uh, why maths, uh, mathematics mindset, what are the factors that shape our attitude toward mathematics? And I shared my personal experiences and um, scientific research about um, this stuff. And I found a bunch of factors that are, that are involved in shaping our attitude toward mathematics. Um, because I personally experienced having a, a negative self-perception about this subject, and then I changed during uh, my secondary uh, to, to to someone who is who is positive about it and feels that is uh, capable of doing uh, maths because of the environment because of teachers. Um, I I found that there um, bunch of factors involved in um, this 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 attitude toward mathematics, and um, uh, you are one of them. Uh, particularly as a kid, you're not aware of how important your environment is um, and um, how much influence you get from your peers, from your, um, your home environment, from your teachers. And um, the whole idea of uh, learning mathematics and having a, a positive or negative attitude toward mathematics really depends on uh, so many factors. So you're part of the game, um, your parents are another part, teachers are another, peers are another. It's, it's a very complicated situation. And if you want to be good at it, if you want to have a, a positive self-perception about um, doing maths um, and being good at maths, you need all these factors to cooperate, right? So this is um, this is what I, I I mainly talked about in that booklet. If um, any of you guys are interested in reading um, uh, this booklet, you can easily go to bungiepie.com. Uh, under free gifts, you can download it for free. Um, I become very happy to get your feedback about it. So I would like to get your insight um, about the factors that are involved in shaping our attitude toward mathematics. Um, in, in, I guess in my, in my own research, um, I've been looking at the work of self-efficacy guru and theorist Bandura, Albert Bandura, who is, is really, the, he is the basis of, of everything to do with social learning theory and self-efficacy theory. Um, I also have delved into the work of Carol Dweck um, on fixed and growth mindset, which you probably have looked at as well. Yeah. And, um, and Joe Bowler, who has focused on fixed and growth mindset in mathematics in particular. Um, part of the reason that I did that was because I believe that our self-belief is, is our limit, that it is, it is what limits our ability to grow and to learn. And if we don't believe that we're capable, then we're, we're, auto, we're automatically putting our pigeonholing ourselves into a box where we won't be able to achieve because I don't know who it was that said, if you believe that you can't, or you believe that you can, then you're right. Sure. <laughs> I, think, I think it might've been Henry Ford that said that, yeah, but sure. um, 
you know, and, and it's true, and, and it comes down to that belief. And I and I also believe that um, success plays a massive role in self-efficacy, in particular mastery over a topic or a concept or a task. So once you've experienced a little bit of success, it doesn't have to be a huge amount of success, but a little bit of success can make a big difference to resilience, to um, risk the ability, the risk in, in future ventures, um, vicarious experiences. So looking at, looking, watching um a, a person's be successful is good, but the best measure is actually mastering it yourself. And anybody can tell you you're capable, but it, it's probably the least um, effective way of you being able to work out whether you're going to be able to achieve a task or not. Um, I, what I love about Joe Bowler and Carol Dweck is that they say, um, I can't do it yet. I can't do something yet. And that yet is where is what um, provides the uh, unlimiting behavior. So it gives it gives people a chance to say, it's okay, I haven't got it yet. I haven't got it now, but I will get it in the future, or I have the capacity to get it in the future. So I think I think those are probably the biggest contributing factors. Um, fixed and growth mindset is just it's so important and you know fixed mindset being what the fact that you believe that you can't get any better at something and and that was what I saw in my students where they would say I'm never going to be any good at maths and I can give you a little bit of an example of one of my one of my um, participants um, who went because I followed them through from the beginning before they even went into their professional practice to the end of their second professional practice so I followed them for a year so I saw a growth over a temporal growth that went from before they even began the whole process right to the very end so I was able to see that change and track that change and um, one of the things that I noticed and you mentioned it a few moments ago about teachers and how they influenced you and influenced um, the way you thought about yourself as a learner. Yeah. Absolutely true. All I had four participants that I followed through. All four of them had experienced negative, um, ex- had negative experiences in school. One of them had been told by a teacher that she wasn't capable, so she believed she wasn't capable. One of them felt that she was an artsy English literacy brain. She was never going to be a maths brain. One of them was extremely, extremely capable, but had a teacher who didn't push that, so he disengaged. And the other, the other girl, just she had to do a higher level, despite the fact that she was capable. She still believed that she wasn't any good at it. So all four of them had negative experiences in school, and it. So for me to be able to see that change, so one of them, the one that had the fixed mindset, who was the one that believed she was an artsy literacy person she had a very bad experience in her first in her first professional practice Um, she believed the lesson completely derailed and she believed that she was never going to be any good as a teacher she felt so bad but she was able her teacher was able to support her to build her capacity when when she went into the when she retaught it. So she retaught it again and had some success with the second time, the second time round. Right. She had a similar experience in the second professional practice, right. but 
that professional practice, because she'd had a positive experience or a mastery experience in the first one, she didn't have the same bounce back and negative self-belief. She actually handled it in a very different way and then and firmly believed that she she could capably um, continue on and, and teach it again effectively. So it's that that's what I'm talking about. If you have a little bit of mastery, a little bit of success, it makes a massive difference to the future, regardless of whether you have a fixed or a growth mindset. So it was it was a phenomenal um, outcome to see that change in her to go from where she had gone to where she ended up at the end. Great. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I personally think this is a valuable work. It's very important because I personally experienced um, um, how how having a positive attitude toward your own abilities um, it's it's important in shaping your future, your whole being. Uh, because because I didn't have that um, when I was doing my primary, and then I changed because of my environment and my teachers later on, and um, they gave me self trust that you know I can, I can do this, um, and um, then I start working with kids um, at Bungee Pie. Um, I've observed exactly the same thing. I have uh, a student with learning difficulties. And um, when we met for the first time, he was at year five and um, he had a very poor maths background. He had absolutely no trust within himself um, about his ability to do this, uh, to do maths and, and this, you know, the hard stuff. Uh, and over time I've observed how he has changed. Uh, I had a chat with him a few weeks ago and um, I asked him, um, you know, about um, his experience uh, uh, over the last two years. And he said, I can't believe that I can handle um, things by mine. I can do things by mine at the moment because he had such a dependency to his mom, uh, you know, to do his work. And, uh, you know, uh, he's able to break uh, to, to pick that up and he can, you know, he, he gets so excited about doing the work and, you know, um, uh, solving questions and, and, you know, he starts liking it, um, which is something that he didn't have that, you know, right at the beginning. And uh, this, is, this, is, this is so important because um, you are, um, you know, shaping somebody's life. It's not about just, the, uh, you know, the maths and, um, you know, it's just, just few questions. It's about, um, having a self um, a trust that you can do this, you can handle that. So about the self-perception um, during our childhood um, and its impact on our uh, career um, later on as an adult, I would like to ask to share uh, your opinion about um, childhood experience um, which influence on uh, mathematics self-efficacy we, we talked a few moments ago about teachers having such a massive influence on, on students, but it's not just the teachers it's, and their encourage, encouragement, but it's also their teaching practices. Yeah. Um, and teaching practices and teachers in, in conjunction with one another can either engage or disengage a student. And um, society also has, has an impact on how how students view themselves as mathematicians. 
Um, if I had a dollar for every single time somebody said to me, my own osteopath said it to me just the other day. She said, oh, I'm not any good at maths. I was never any good at maths. I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, if I had a dollar for every single time I, I heard it, I'd, I'd be living on Bora Bora. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe not this year, but maybe Bondi. But yeah. it's it's one of those it's one of those things that people tend to wear as a badge of honour, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, they would never or they would rarely say that they're, they're not good at reading or they're not good at literacy, but they would happily say that they're not good at maths. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that is born out of, um, I think it's a lot of things. If you're good at maths, you're seen as a nerd. Yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you like maths, you're seen as a nerd. If you um, if and and you're ostracized as a as a young child because the majority of people remember I said to you the, the, that one third that one third group of students who who said to me that they didn't believe that they were any good at maths or could ever be any good at maths yeah, yeah. they were also connected with the the bottom half of the second third who were saying that they were they lacked confidence but they they were okay with it. Um, and I and I think that has that impacts um, the ad adult life. And in my research, in what I've done with with my participants, what I found from them was that despite the fact that they were now adults, they were now achieving a, in academia. They had gone through an undergraduate degree. They were now starting a master's, and they still believed from their experiences of mathematics in primary and high school and from their memories of mathematics that they were no good at it. Right. So that to me tells me that there's something wrong with either the way society views maths or the way society um, uh, exhibits the, the, or doesn't appreciate mathematics. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, I mean, you love it, I love it, that's why we're talking about yeah. I love maths yeah. um, because because of the beauty and the creativity that it provides and 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 the the way it changes the way you think and the way the way you can answer lots of science and answer so many part and things in the world today that because of uh, because of mathematics if we didn't have maths none of the science would work either so because yeah, it's so reliant to what yeah. So I think I think um, unfortunately, child childhood experience of maths has a massive influence on a person's adult belief. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is um, very unfortunate um, to see such a uh, such a thing. Cause still in in all modern society, I personally experienced it so many times. As soon as you say I'm doing maths, the the first thing you expect to hear from people is is that I'm not good at maths or I'm bad at maths or I hated it. So um, it's 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 like a, a kind of a negative culture around it. I had a I had a friend when I was doing my PhD and she, she was doing PhD in maths as well. And she was talking to a lady and um, the lady said, well, poor you, why you are doing to yourself? This is like a suffrage. And, uh, you know, being in an environment that um, doing maths is um, negative, um, it's kind of a suffrage. It's, it's, 
it's very hard um, to change. It's very hard to handle, um, and sometimes even being you know being being nerdy, like doing doing maths, being good at maths is associated with uh, you know being nerd or being nerdy. Uh, is not easy to handle as a kid in particular, uh, because I think being a nerdy still is not a positive thing. Uh, and, and the situation uh, gets even uh, more difficult for girls, right? Being associated with uh, doing nerdy stuff. So I would like to get your um, opinion um, um, about this. Um, any sort of solution uh, you have, um, you know, came up with, um, what we can change, what we can do to make this situation better? Um, actually, I was thinking about this um, with regards to, because I've taught in an all-girls school and um, I was very fortunate to have the support of my principal who was, uh, she was maths and science, so she was she was very much keen on getting the girls involved in in the mathematics. But I mean, girls are notorious for um, it's not saying well, as you say, it's not saying to be cool, but they're also notorious for for the self doubt. They they're more likely to not believe that they're capable of doing something than boys. Boys are more likely to turn around and go, oh, I'll give it a go. Yeah, you know, it's it's they're they're two different and I think it's the way I don't think it's innate I think it's the way society builds children right. you know we, we say go ahead to the boys go and have a try and we say to the girls oh you you might skin your knees right. you know sit down and, and don't don't give that a go instead of instead of encouraging them yeah. to try something yeah. um I, I guess in with the kids with whom I worked um they felt a little bit safer working in an all-girls school or learning in an all-girls school to make to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. Right. Um, and and yet, you know, all the research points to boys do better in a co-ed school and girls do better in a in an all-girls school. Well, what happens to the boys if all the girls are in the all-girls school? So right. it's sort of, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at it, but there's there's um. I think I think girls are less likely to give it a go, and I think we need really strong role models. And I think things are changing; right. we're seeing those sorts of things, but um, there, it's still it's still we've still got a long way to go. Because I think the other thing is that if if a woman is successful, oftentimes she's put down right. because. Well, you're not supposed to be successful. It's a bit of a tall poppy type thing, right. and and you know that's not the case. And that's a bit of a generalized statement, but it is. It it does happen. You see, you see it happening. Yeah. I think there's some some places like AMSI that are trying to work through um, building capacity in in young women and and you know supporting them. I work with a foundation called the Harding Miller Foundation that. Um, provide support, uh, financial as well as physical support to young women who are in year eight and year nine, uh, all the way up to year 12, who, uh, who are either disadvantaged socially um, or, or who live, you know, in, in, in socially disadvantaged areas. And they do phenomenal work with these young women. And these, these are young women who have, um, who have showed ability and capacity and willingness to work hard 
so they're they're given they're given a two-year grant pretty much to to provide them with um resources that will support their learning and uh it, it's a it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal thing to see so i think i think things are changing yeah. i think things are definitely changing yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we certainly need to see a lot more role models um, from government is probably our biggest our biggest um, support or the, the, the place that we can get the biggest support for young women in. in uh, yeah. Regarding the role model, you're absolutely right, because I think it's very important, uh, particularly as a kid. Uh, to have a strong role model um, that, that can change a, a lot of things. I personally had that um, when I was doing my high school. Um, I was born in Iran and um, on the Iranian educational system doing maths, it's very difficult and uh, very prestigious as well. Uh, when I was doing my high school, I, I knew Maryam, uh, Maryam Amir Zalkhani. Um, she is um, uh, the first woman um, who uh, got a Fields Medal. Um, this is the, the most uh, prestigious award in the world of mathematics. And uh, she made a history uh, by, um, you know, by getting um, this award. And when I was doing my high school, she was senior than me, a few years ahead of me. And, and I remember back then that uh, she was one of those first girls that she got gold medal uh, in International Math Mathematics Olympiad at that time, at that age. And then she left the country uh, to pursue her career in, in maths um, later. And then she achieved more and more and more over years. And, um, you know, and, and then um, I've got my degrees um, and then I left and I moved to Australia. I've been living here for... Um, for 12 years now uh, but um, I followed I followed her uh, because I, I really um, was interested in uh, knowing uh, where she's going to end up with all the talent that he, she had and um, I was so impressed by her work I was so impressed by the fact that she made a history to be the first woman um, you know getting this award um, and um, I was um, I was so happy that um, you know um, I knew her you know from from my high school and um, and I got so upset when uh, she gave it up to cancer so um, yeah that was that was quite unfortunate but um, yeah, this is this is this is fairly important. Having a strong role model, it's it's very important. All right. Um, now, uh, as a, a professional and successful uh, woman, I would like to know uh, what are your pain points. Um, I, I guess if I go back to uh, being a woman. Um, that that's an aspect of it and this is more to do with me than it is to, to do with being a woman but um, I think in education there's an awful lot more women anyway so in anybody and if you look across education unless you look in the tertiary or in in high school that's when you, you start to see more men creeping into into the um, professional space but in primary school there's significantly more women in um, as primary teachers than there are in in than there are men but I suspect some of that is to do with self-protection for men um, with the, within the primary school um, uh, there's also the fact that uh, they probably enjoy doing a specific area um, for me I guess the 
the professional pain points or an area that that may be more challenging for me is related to more my own imposter syndrome right. you know i'm guilty i'm guilty of um limited self-belief and 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 it's i have i have to actually physically say to myself stop it Karen here right. you're capable not only are you capable but you're actually doing the job so right. you know just get on with it so i i guess um we're getting we are getting better at it as i say when the, the more role models that that are out there yeah, yeah. Um, you constantly yeah. need to look up and find people find successful people mm. and 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 um actually uh people who um who are not uh, uh, i wouldn't say genius because because how many genius really we have like mm. even if you know you look at the world of uh, the world of mathematics we have very very few uh, you can count them really really genius minds the rest of people are, are normal people you know uh, they go through the challenges um uh, they have their their old self doubt. Uh, they achieve a start. They they try to break things. Mm. And I think this is important to to make your reference points. And reference points are the points that um, it, it, it's it's you're under pressure. Uh, it's, it's some challenges come along, and you somehow manage to handle it. You somehow manage to break it through. You somehow manage to you know get it done. And then that's something that you can refer it back to later on in life and say, hey, if I could. Do that. Mm. I can handle this. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I agree with you. I think those reference points are very, very important. I mean, from from my own experience. I mean, I talk a bit. I talk about imposter syndrome, and I think academics are, are guilty of that across the board. It doesn't sure. matter who they are. We're we're all guilty of that. Yeah. Um, sure. And despite not being in academia um, at the moment, I I I guess um, it took. For me, I was in academia for several years before I got a I got a teaching citation. So it was a, a teaching award, two two teaching awards. And even after two teaching awards, I still sort of went, you know, there's still a level of self doubt that goes through your mind, despite yeah. that, despite having confidence in myself, because I do, I do have very strong self belief, do have a very high self efficacy, but there is still that little voice you know at the back of your head that's still saying just just be careful <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i do i do get it um i i do have it as well all the time and probably most people um particularly in the in, in academia it's just the weird space that we constantly mm -hmm. think about the stuff that we do and we challenge our abilities constantly i don't know what's what's to do what is this environment what it has done to us i have no idea but uh, yeah I, I've, I've seen a lot of people with that with that challenge and it's a killing challenge it's really draining your um you know your energy all right cool so um my next question for you would be what would your advice to be your 14 years old self <laughs> uh, my 14 year old self um i had a fairly tumultuous childhood my sadly my mum passed away when i was 12 and i was the eldest of three children so my 14 year old self was busy looking after two younger siblings if if I had to go back and talk to myself again, I'd probably say stop with your self doubt. You are you are capable. Um, I I think if my mum had been alive, I would have gone straight to university from school. Right. Um, but I I didn't 
I went and had a career and got married and had a couple of kids before I went on to university. And even applying for university for the first time at 34, I was still riddled with a little bit of self-doubt. So I guess I'd go back and I'd say, stop with your self-doubt. You are capable. You can do this. But I'd, I'd probably also say it's, you need to recognise that through failures comes success. You have to make mistakes in order to learn from them. So, right. And I guess the other thing I'd say is, most importantly, hang on for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think this is, this is quite valuable that you share, um, you share this because, you know, it's just sharing vulnerability um, around, this, around this. And, um, and for, for some, someone like you being quite successful in, in, in the space of maths education, uh, sharing this stuff, I think this, this is... Uh, this is a big message for for people out there that you know if you're struggling it's okay i'm struggling with it as well you know yeah. what i mean it's it's just yeah thank you for for sharing that um by the way thank so um any check-in rituals to share with our audience um i have several check-in rituals actually great great <laughs> um and and this this these are things that I've sort of developed over time throughout throughout my life. Um, I, I'm a very firm believer in gratitude. Um, I, I heard somebody say once years ago to, to live your life with an attitude of gratitude, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to consider. Um, so I start my day off by saying thank you. Thank you. I'm awake, first of all. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to, to do X, Y, or Z today. Um, I used to have, a, I haven't really written it much lately because I've been too busy writing the thesis, but I used to have a gratitude journal right. and that I, I would write down all the things that I was grateful for that had happened during that day. Yeah. And um, that, has a, a, that has a way of switching your thinking right. into, into a positive mode. And more recently, I've uh, I use this and I carry this that you probably can't see it. It's a little silver cylinder, yeah. but inside that cylinder, I have written down all the things that I'm grateful for, oh, wow. and it's rolled up and it's it's held inside that. And wow. I guess and and every now and then, I just, you'll see me hold it and and I'll just I'll just hang on to it, and wow. uh, it just is a reminder that I need to be grateful. But I guess um, I try and focus on positivity and, and, you know, reflect and celebrate achievements and learn from the mistakes and remember if you did stuff up that tomorrow's another day. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I really liked uh, the fact that you, you write it down and you put it in there because it's constantly, you know, it's very close to you. And you yeah, it's with you. me. Yeah. 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 And it's just kind of, you know. I know you can't, you can't see it. It's, it's a little, a little. It, it, it's, inside, yeah. it's rolled up on a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that because it just constantly remind you for the things that is important for you, and you're mm. grateful for it. Uh, it's a good one. I really like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite aware of time, um, and um, I know that you know uh, you're quite a busy person, and you have a lot of things to do. But if if you would like to share your final message with, uh, with for us, with for your audience, please feel free to go ahead and. I guess, your <laughs> I, guess if, I guess if there was one message, I would probably say I, I, I would have 
many, many parents, particularly mothers, who would say to me about their daughters that they, um, the mothers would say, I was never any good at maths. I don't expect her to be any good at maths. And, and if, if I could change that in society and people would stop saying that they, they were never any good and they're never going to be any good and that's good, it's, it's, it's a gen genetic thing. It's because it's not a genetic thing. No, it's not. It, it is learned and, and we can all learn it. It's, yeah. As I say, it's like playing musical instrument or playing tennis or, or doing anything we practice. Okay. That if we don't, if we practice it, and I've seen success, I've seen um, my own numeracy students be successful just because they put the effort in and they practiced. So it's everything's achievable. It just, I guess, get rid of this. As I, I'm, you know, I'm spreading my own words back at myself again. Stop with the self-doubt and try. And try and try and push it. Push your limit. Push it. My mother limit. used to say that all the time. She said, "If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again." Try, try again. Yeah, I do believe in that. I'm a fair yeah. believer in it. Um, I do. I do think that you know, practice. That's that's the that's the key. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I really enjoy our chat. Um, I hope that um you know you come back and we can have another great chat because i'm pretty much sure you have a lot to say um, in, in this space of maths education i think it's fairly important uh, particularly as a raising awareness um about uh, about this this subject and and, and psychology of it uh, for parents i think um that's something that i'm personally really keen on that and hopefully you can manage to to come back and and give us another another tour <laughs> You're, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, yeah. Linda. It's, it's been great. It's been great chatting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us. Um, if you're interested in maths and its applications and you think you've done a great job uh, in this space and you have great insight to share with us, please email me on admin at bungiepie.com.au. Bungiepie is B-U-N-G-E-E-P-I dot com dot A-U um, is, is also is my website. Um, so you can get a lot of information about the podcast and the whole Bungiepie there. Have a great time and see you later.